Thank you, Lord. The righteous run unto it. We're glad. Thank you, Lord. We're safe. We're protected. Thank you, Lord. We exalt you. We lift you up. We humble our hearts. We declare you as Lord, Master of our lives. Thank you for redeeming our life from destruction. By your own precious blood. Not anything that we could have done. Only what you could do. So on the basis of your blood, that which was shed for us, we yield to that. We yield to you. As the Lord of our life. The one who redeemed our life. And as we allow you by your spirit to reign over our life, to reign over our thoughts, to reign over our emotions, to guide our actions. So we allow you to be the king, the master. Then we begin to experience your mastery. And we reign in life with you. By allowing your great grace, your gift of righteousness to reign in our hearts and our lives. Then we reign over the circumstances of life. We reign over the temptations of the enemy, the thoughts planted contrary to your word. So not only do we get to experience your lordship, but we get to experience what you called us to do, reign in life. So we thank you. We worship your majesty. We praise you and we honor you tonight. Holy Spirit, we thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light. We might know what is the expectation, the hope of your calling for us. What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance for us as saints? What is the exceeding greatness of your power that you release towards us who believe? That same miracle working power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same authoritative power that raised you far above all principality, power, might, and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. That we might recognize you as the head over all things to us, the church. Your body. We are the fullness of you that fills everything everywhere. Thank you, Father, for that union with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in that place for filling us with the knowledge of your will for our life with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we might walk in the value, the worth of that which you have provided for us, strengthened with mighty power for all patience and long-suffering, that we would live in the joy of that calling, that work that you've called us to, that service that you've called us into, knowing that we're not striving to qualify, but we have been qualified to partake of the inheritance of the saints in light. That we have been delivered from the power of darkness. No longer do we have to live in ignorance and deception concerning you and who you are and what you have for us. The light of the glorious gospel shining and revealing to us that hope of our calling. We can recognize and realize that we've been redeemed. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of your love. It's in Jesus that we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. We get to realize the fullness of you who fills everything. Thank you, Lord. So minister to every heart and every life by your word and by your spirit tonight. Cause us to be able to walk from this place, living and applying the word to our life, that we might be a living expression of your word and your promise. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty and majestic name we pray. And everyone who greets it, amen. 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 Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. What a great night. What a great time to be alive. What a great worship to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you give the worship team a big hand? Praise the Lord. Greet three or four people around you. Tell them you're glad that they're here tonight. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us by live stream. We're glad that you're here with us tonight, wherever you are, whatever your, whatever your situation is, we're glad that you are with us tonight. Just pray that God ministers to you wherever you are. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And you can just open there and hang there for just a minute. Um, just want to remind you of this. They're out, I believe they're out in the foyer. Is that right, Pastor Tasha? The invite cards. So we have these little invite cards for you, as they've been saying. Pick a few of these up as you go through your, your week and uh, run into people, go places. You can just hand this to them. And uh, it's for our Christmas Eve services. We have uh, on Sunday morning, uh, we're going to have a regular service, but one service at 9.30, Christmas Eve morning, we'll gather together, uh, really just to acknowledge, celebrate Jesus. And then at 4 and 5.30, we're going to have our Christmas Eve communion service, and uh, the ambiance will be like candlelight, but there probably won't be any actual candle. Okay, there will be a couple candles. Praise the Lord. And so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, all right, candlelight, communion service, and uh, it's always just a great time uh, together to come together, read the Christmas story, uh, see what God has done. As I said, you know, earlier this morning, sometimes, you know, uh, different people have different thoughts, and we're just here to celebrate Jesus and his birth into the earth. And uh, again, just the importance of that. You know, John said that the, the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit that does, does not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh or that God was made flesh. So when we celebrate Christmas, whatever time it is, we're not celebrating a certain uh, a time of, of the season. We're just in a place, no matter what it has been or was to anybody else, to us, it's celebrating the birth of Jesus, declaring in all the earth that God came as a man. Jesus existed here. He came sinless, spotless, to live a life to show us and be an example of our life, to live without sin, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And then without sin, he hung on the cross with our sin upon him. Died with our sin upon him, was buried. God raised him from the dead for our justification, seated him in his own right hand, that we might have power and authority over the enemy. Amen? So we, just get, we have an opportunity right here to celebrate that. If we keep that focus, we'll all be blessed. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so... Uh, that's why we're coming together. Uh, we're not uh, hanging out with anybody, uh, uh, you know, concerned with the devil or anybody else. We're celebrating Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we'll have a good time doing that. Invite people to come celebrate Jesus with us. And that will be awesome. And um, praise the Lord. Is there anything else I was supposed to announce along those lines? You can take a stack for your business if you want to, and um, praise the Lord. Have people pick that up at your business, and um, hallelujah. If you weren't here this morning or weren't prepared with your local church ties and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you can buy cash or debit or credit card, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will be delighted uh, to give you an envelope. If you're giving by text, the number is up there. Praise the Lord. And then also we'll have them come by. Uh, again, just we'll just do this all at once, but uh, you know we appreciate your generosity. But today we're also taking up a, a special uh, uh, Christmas bonus offering, as our custom is for our missionaries. And so, uh, if you're, you you want to participate in that, uh, you want another envelope, raise your hand. Uh, you can give by that. Just when you give by text, just make a, a special note put uh, for missionaries on that. If you're writing a check. And you're just going to put it in, uh, put missionary bonus. We want to make sure that that gets uh, spread out and, and given to all of our missionaries and um, uh, so that they can be blessed at this time of year. And uh, we do appreciate your uh, giving, your generosity in that area. And so um, if you make sure that mark that, this will all be one offering. So make sure you mark distinctly what's tithes and offerings, what's uh, the missionary bonus. So we get all that uh, put into one place. Amen. Praise the Lord. We ready? Father, we thank you uh, for every opportunity that we have to give. We're thankful uh, for your blessing in our life. We thank you that all that we have belongs to you. So in us bringing our tithes and our offerings, we acknowledge that covenant that we have with you, and we just uh, command blessing upon each and every one. Father, as we receive this offering for our missionaries, we command it to be multiplied, seed sown into the nations of the world, into the hearts and the lives, and the, really the activity day-to-day uh, -day activity, the families of our missionaries at this uh, time of year. Father, and then we just command that blessing, that seed to sow bread for food, uh, that you multiply the fruit of our righteousness 
as we give, that many souls will be saved around the world as our missionaries are refreshed at this time of year. They're blessed by this offering. God, just multiply it in every way that you can, that it would be a blessing, uh, not just uh, right now, but even beyond this time, exceedingly abundantly, more than we could ever ask, hope, dream, or think. I thank you, Father. It'll meet needs. It'll bring supply, and it'll be a blessing to others. And so we just declare that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pass those buckets. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been talking on Sunday night kind of here and there. Uh, as we've had guests, we've had uh, different, the Spirit of God moves in different ways. We've been talking about something we entitled uh, Ready, Set, Revival. And getting ready for the revival that I believe that we are in, but the increase of that uh, reviving. And we have to be prepared as a, a, a body, a church body for that revival. We have to in, be involved within that revival. We read a couple of weeks ago a prophecy from Tommy Hicks that uh, really, you know, what he saw, the body of Christ and the stirrings that the body has, uh, you know, and movings. But there's a time where the body just stands up. Uh, in the vision that he saw, really stood up, reached into heaven. Once it hit heaven, it just dispersed with this liquid light, the power of God throughout the whole earth. And every single person had that, that anointing that received it, that anointing to begin to, to pray and see people healed and delivered, set free, made whole and prospered. And so uh, it really brings salvation to many. That's a true really working out of what we would call revival, where it begins to, to flow out and it begins to by individual members of the body. And so the church is a gathering place in where we really prepare ourselves. We learn, but then we, we disperse and spread out and begin to reach a certain sphere of influence and knowing how we operate in that and what we do uh, to do that and how we prepare ourselves individually and corporately in those things. So Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7 once again just to get this into our heart into our thinking, he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Praise the Lord. That, that grace and, and Christ's gift, uh, really, we have to look at that. Sometimes we just look at the gift in our life or, or what's the grace in my life. But he says, we were given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's some measuring in our thinking about what Jesus has done, the gift that he's put in our life, the gifts that he has put in our life. One time in studying this, just looking at that, it seemed like the Spirit of God said, if you will honor the gift that I put in your life, if you'll measure and honor the gift that I put in your life, he's about to list what we call five uh, ministry gifts, we call ministry offices. But he said, if those who are gifted that I put into your life, that you would honor that gift in their life, it would bring forth a revelation and a, a, a grace upon your life to operate in that which I've called you to do. Yes. Amen. So, so many times in a, in a culture where we have dis, dishonor, we've been called to question those that God's put in authority over us, we miss really measuring what God has done by putting a gift in our life. See, we look at personalities often, unfortunately. We want to find the personality that we like best. But it's really what God's put in that person as a gift for you that's really going to open up, right, to unwrap that gift, to ask God what's in that gift that I might receive that will help with the grace that's upon my life. Just one portion of that. So he goes on to say, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this whole process of redemption was God's plan to fill everything everywhere. He wrote earlier there in Ephesians chapter 1 when he prayed for him that we'd understand Jesus as the head, the body, and that the body in the mind of Christ was the way that Jesus, God, was going to fill everything everywhere with himself which is pretty cool, right? You and I knowing who we are, what we have, that relationship on the inside of us, that we are members of the body of Christ, that we are in him, he's in us, his very life, his very nature now is our nature. 
We no longer have that sinful nature that came from Adam's sin. We have a new nature, a divine nature, if we understand it, if we're partaking of the divine nature, right? We've talked about this, but Second Peter, he comes in and he, he greets them and he says, you have like precious faith. And he said, really, from that place, I, I pray that you'd have this, this uh, grace and mercy that comes from the Holy Spirit, this, this abounding grace by the glory of God so that you would be able to have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of him, not the knowing about him, but the experiencing the person of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and the glory and the power and the virtue of the Holy Spirit of God. Because every promise of God that he ever made to us, right, had to do with these exceeding great and precious promises, all had to do with us being changed so that we no longer partake of the sin nature that came from Adam, but we partake of the divine nature, right? Praise the Lord. So religion would try to tell you, no, you can't do that. That's very haughty thinking, but that's Christ's thinking. See, the enemy would like us to not think that, so we always revert back to what we can't do because that sin seems to have a, an attachment to us. But just think if it didn't have any attachment to us. We had no memory of it. It had no influence in our life. We were just partaking of the nature of God. Wow. It might change. So our thinking, he wants to get that in our thinking because he wants to fill everything everywhere with himself, with his nature. So when we, we find out that we're part of him and we go from this place and we go into our house, guess what? Our house is filled with him. We go to our job, wherever you work, wherever you move around, you fill it with him. Go to the grocery store, fill it with him. I mean, you just start thinking about the people in New Creation Church. I mean, there's, there's the body of Christ throughout the valley, but just the people in New Creation Church, where we go, where we work, where we associate, where we recreate. If we just had that understanding everywhere we went, that we were walking, we were filling that place up with him, with his divine nature, right? Not religiously, but in all reality, we saw ourselves ready to be able to bring the very nature of God, the life of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the anointing of God, wherever we were, and we weren't timid about it, we weren't shy about it, right? We weren't uh, intimidated by what others might think. Just think how he would fill everything everywhere. All right, so he just wants to get us with that, knowing that, you know, uh, as we look through this, there will be resistance and there will be things to that. But just because, you know, there's a dark place, when light comes into that darkness, dark never, darkness never overmasters that light. So Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but as you receive life from me, you will be the light of the world. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So it says at 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so right here, he's saying all this. And again, don't misunderstand me, but just to, to bring a point to us, he doesn't say one thing in this particular scripture about outreach. <gasps> but we know Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we're not supposed to not outreach. But there's a much more powerful outreach if we start to grow the body and understand the power, the strength, and, and, and what the, the moving out of the body uh, really does in a, in a culture, in a society. Amen? And so in talking about this, we see that there's the equipping of the saints for that work of ministry. 
which means we all have ministry to do. We have ministry and service that we do within the body. And then there's things that God's called us to do outside of the body to minister to others, right? And so when we go out from the body, we're going to always encounter people that God says, I want you to be fully prepared to share or to bring life into situations there. And then uh, then recognizing that you have special graces in your life to be able to do that. Right. So we get into a place where we realize there's certain areas that I can serve within the body. And that's awesome. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But there's those graces in our life being developed help us even in places outside the body. Right. It helps us to bring light uh, to other people. So we're carrying something. We're carrying something on our life. We're carrying the life of God. We're carrying the anointing of God. We're carrying a grace upon our life that really isn't about our ability. It's about the ability that God gives in different areas. All right? So we've just been talking about that because if we understand that revival really happens in in different ways in many areas, but something happens on the inside of you. I mean, I'm just believing this. I've talked to enough people. I guess I might be different but, you know, revival that happened on the inside of me personally is when, whenever, I mean, whatever the situation, if I get to be with somebody one-on-one or two or three people and something happens. But when I was working out in, in construction and doing that, if I, I ran into somebody or when I first moved here and, and, and was working and, you know, and, and I would go into all these fast food places and come and go and all those places where that was, you know, other than the people I worked with. Those were the people I ran into. And so whether it was, you know, somebody at the counter at Arby's or somebody at Come and Go, uh, to get to know them and over a time of getting to know them, got to share the gospel with them. And whenever the gospel would be shared with them and I would get to pray with them and they would get born again, there was something sparked on the inside of me. It's personal revival. If we go years and years and years and never share the gospel of Jesus Christ, never bring forth the understanding that, man, God has done great things for me, never have that opportunity and that joy to pray with someone just to say, you know what, what God could do for you. God's not wanting to send you to hell. He sent Jesus so you wouldn't have to go. And in relationship with him, he wants to bring forth a power and a strength to go through life with him, not without him. To have that life, to be saved. Somebody say, well, that's what I want. And for you to be able to just say, well, could I pray with you? And hold hands and just lead them in the prayer of salvation. So I don't know how to pray that. We have books back there that will tell you how to do that. But it's just a simple prayer. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Uh, and, and really 10, it says that if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'd be saved. Just lead somebody. Just say, do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Yes. Are you ready to make him the Lord of your life? Declare him Lord, master of your life. Means you give up that old sinful life. Allow him to forgive your sin and now you follow him. Be the Lord of your life. You ready to do that? Let's just pray. Have them repeat after you. God, I'm just, I'm finished with sin in my life. I believe that Jesus came to die for me so my sin would be washed away. I believe you raised him from the dead so that I could be forgiven and justified. So I ask you to come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Amen. And when they look up, there's just something different in their life. And then you just say, you know what? I just want to help you grow in this. So whatever you need, just let me know. And you want to come to church with me on Sunday. You'll start growing in that. Man, it'll revive something in you. You'll sit next to them. I remember in high school, I shared, my friends got born again. Changed the whole way, my whole thought of living. I thought right now, I just shared with them, they got born again. Somehow, I have a responsibility to live different in front of them because I was the one that told them their life could be different. Wow, as a 17-year-old, it started to change my life, and I thought, oh, man, I got to live different because now I told them about this. We went to church together. They got saved, so I better tell them, let's all go to youth group. Puts a little responsibility, but it puts a revival. You start thinking, okay, God, help me. Help me because I have a little bit of responsibility. See, we shy away from that sometimes. That's why I don't want to pray with anybody. I don't want that responsibility. No, there's something, a grace that starts to rise up in you. It's like, I can't do this. I can't lead them. I, I can maybe take them to church, but I can't lead them. But if you pray with them, all of a sudden, something happens. God says, there's a grace on you. Just go ahead and yield to that. 
that was really the very beginning of stuff starting to unfold on the inside of me. To know that God had called me to a different place. Man, that didn't happen right away. I didn't go like, wow, this is really cool. And man, God's shown me stuff to share with them. And then we look into the word. I mean, I did it a little backwards. Sometimes God showed me and I shared with them. And then we went to church and it was preached from the word. And I went, wow, I don't know where I got that, but it lines up with the word. And then I had to learn, I better find it in the word first. But I was like, where's that coming from? How did I know that? Started investigating, started learning. Wow, I think God has a call in my life. I went to Bible school. Well, that didn't happen right away. I worked construction, came to church, became faithful. Lots of things happened. So that's what we're talking about. Everybody's maybe not going to have that office, but whatever it is in you, God wants to expose in you. But there's a process that does that, that we're ready. And when we're ready and we know the grace is in our life and revival happens and people start to come in and they want to know. And wherever they are, it's like, could somebody tell me? I know you've had this experience. You've heard me say this before, but there's different ones. This is one that stands out, but different ones, you know, where, you know, I almost missed an opportunity from God. One night we're playing basketball and I'd been praying, God, just help me, help me be more evangelistic. Help me be bold and be more evangelistic. You know, you pray that in your prayer closet, God, help me, help me until he says, here, I'll help you. And you're like, nah, not tonight. (laughs) And so I mean, Tasha's story might be a little bit different, but I think we're pretty close. I think we've narrowed it down to to being pretty close. But we play basketball, and so uh, we start walking uh, to our car. Everybody's leaving the the basketball court down there in Sayre Park, and we're leaving, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy sitting on a picnic table. He's got a big grocery bag next to him. We're leaving, and I knew it in in my heart. The Spirit of God said, you know, you need to go talk to him. And I was thinking, well, it's late at night. We play basketball. Uh, He probably doesn't want anybody to talk to him anyway. But, you know, it's just that nudging on the inside. So I get all the way to the car, and I keep looking over my shoulder, get all the way to the car. Start the car. I'm sitting in the car. We start down, you know, to leave. And, and Tasha says, you're supposed to, to witness to that guy back there, aren't you? And I'm like, dear Lord Jesus. I mean, if it's not enough, the Holy Spirit, he'll go ahead and tell your wife. So, you know, we do, I turn around. I'm like, all right, now. I mean, I have no escape now. I could say, well, okay, sorry, Holy Spirit, you know, in the next morning, sorry, give me another chance. You ever done that? <laughs> but there's no chance here. I've been asking. So there's no chance. We rip, whip around. And, uh, you know, the closer I get, they're about to shut off all the lights there. He's just got uh, tattoos. He's, he's dressed in black. He's got that sack there. And so I'm just thinking, man, this guy does not want to hear about Jesus. And so... Uh, <laughs> I'm just coming up. So I, I approach him, you know. Uh, I don't have, you know, any real scripture or anything. I'm really a little bit afraid that he might not like that. And um, it could end in an altercation. But I'm having to trust God with that. So I look at him and I said, how you doing? He said, I'm, I'm all right. I said, well, um, uh, I believe I'm supposed to come over here and tell you that God loves you. He goes, I was like, what? He said, This morning, I told God, if you're real, send somebody to tell me. Well, then I bolstered up. I was feeling pretty bold then. (laughs) Well, I'm your man. (laughs) You know, you know how that goes. Once, Once there's a confirmation, I'm ready. It took a little bit to get there, you know. But, you know, he starts telling us about his situation, why he doesn't believe that God could even love him. So we, you know, he's got his beers and stuff in his bag. We will bring your bag. We put him in our car. We take him over to our apartment. We're just newly married. And uh, we spend hours in our living room. And he's telling us how he was in Vietnam and uh, the things that he did and how God could never, never, uh, uh, you know, love him, could never forgive him. So we just opened the Bible. We showed him where the apostle Paul consented to killing Christians. We said, now listen, if he could, if God could forgive him, Make him an apostle. Write two-thirds of the New Testament. Don't you think he could forgive you? Knelt right there in our living room, made Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's just something on the inside of you God wants to do. Somebody out there may wake up tomorrow morning and say, Jesus, if you're real, send somebody to tell me. And you might be the one. Well, revival starts that way. For this one and that one. Then you bring them. They start learning about Jesus. They share somebody else. Share with somebody else. Amen. And so as we look at this and we begin to look at a few things. Things that were happening back then.
Uh, we're looking into the Word of God. Just a couple of things that will help us as we go through this. Not legalistic, but to understand. We said the number one thing is if we could be found faithful. Found faithful. Something to really be found faithful. He said it must be uh, required of a steward that's been given something by God to be found faithful. Amen. That means consistent. That means believing God. So we're faithful. We're faithful to God. We're faithful in our time with God. We're faithful. If we say God's given me a gift, I'm faithful not only to recognize it, but to nurture it, to grow it, to stir it, right? So how am I going to do that? Well, he calls us into the body. We're working in that. So we are found uh, faithful. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've gone through those particular scriptures on faithfulness, how important it is over and over and over again. Jesus talked about stewards, about servants that were found faithful, faithful with, for what they, with what they had uh, been given. I want to read First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 out of the easy to read version. It says, those who, are well, uh, who do well as special servants are making an honorable place for themselves. Those who do well, those who are faithful as servants of God, special servants. In the King James, New King James, it says deacons. He said, are making an honorable place for themselves, and they will feel very sure of their faith in Christ Jesus. He said, as you serve faithfully, he said, you, you begin to bring an honorable position. In other words, your faithfulness draws people, draws God to you. And something else that faithfulness does, moving through and staying faithful through different situations, is it says right here, it causes you to know and be very sure of your faith in Jesus. In Jesus. So that faithfulness, that serving well, has something to do with going through and being faithful in different situations at different times with what God has called you to solidifies your faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes people get weary in well-doing, and right before God is about to do something really uh, big in their life, they quit. He says, if you don't faint, you'll reap if you don't faint. Don't get weary in doing good. So that faithfulness, sometimes, you know, it's just at that place where we've been faithful. We said, I've been faithful. I've been faithful. I've been faithful. I guess it's just not working. I'm going to quit being faithful. Sometimes we would just miss exactly what we prepared for. So he said, we'd reap if we'd faint not. In other words, we'd stay with it. So number one thing is you want to be found faithful. You want to be there. The family members you've been praying for, the people that you've been working with, the community that we've been praying for, we want to stay faithful. We want to stay serving God so we don't miss the harvest time. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Number two, it says that you have to hold the message of the faith with a pure conscience. Turn just back just a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and verse 8. Verse 8, again, deacons, if you grew up in a denomination or somewhere, you think, well, deacons, deacons are the guys that run the church. Deacons are the board, you know, and you can have a deacon board. But really simply, he says deacons. Uh, as he goes through to Timothy, he says, here's how you set up uh, things in the church. You have bishops or overseers, pastors, uh, and then you have deacons. You have helpers or servers, uh, people who serve in the church. He said, likewise, deacons or those who serve must be reverent not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. So there you could mark all those down. We're not talking about those tonight. Maybe next week. <laughs> Verse 9, he says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith. Well, what's the mystery of the faith? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not out there somewhere. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so here's what uh, Kenneth Weiss' uh, word study says about this particular passage of Scripture. It says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience is a significant association of faith with ethics. Faith with ethics. It is as if the pure conscience were the vessel in which the mystery of the faith is preserved. 
the idea is sound and valuable. A mere intellectual attitude towards the mystery, which in every age attaches to the faith, the mystery attaches to the faith, will result just, again, a mere intellectual attitude towards the mystery, towards Christ in you, the hope of glory, towards the scripture, the gospel. What happened? A mere intellectual attitude towards the mystery uh, will result in doubt, questioning, and wordy strife. Debate. Sometimes it will result in moral laxity. And sometimes in despair. So that when you just rely simply on the intellect. Instead of the inward conscience. Said keep your inward conscience pure. Loyalty and duty to God are compatible with more or less ignorance concerning the mystery. Right? So we think it's all about loyalty and duty to God when it's simply intellectual. It becomes just, a, a, if it's just a duty or simply loyalty, then you don't understand it if it's just intellectual. An intellect, however, powerful and active, joined with an impure conscience, cannot solve but only aggravate the mystery. Whereas a pure and loyal conscience and a frank acceptance of imposed duty along with the mystery puts one in the best attitude for attaining whatever solution is possible. So again, we said this this morning, God gives us his word and faith into a pure conscience really receives that and God begins to process it and from a spiritual place processes it into our thinking. But if we try to intellectualize it first by reasoning, it can result in the wrong thing. So even at the very beginning, God said, here, look at everything that I gave you. It's all good. You're going to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You're going to have dominion over the fish of the air, the birds of the sea, everything that, that creeps. Look at all this. This is going to be great. And if they would just went, whoo, let's do it. But he said, there's a tree over there, the knowledge of good and evil. They got hanging around that, and they began to reason intellectually of what it looked like and what it would do for them, and it caused the problem. So again, not to misunderstand, he's not talking about blind faith. He's just talking about getting your conscience, conscience uh, defiled by simply reasoning what God said or what God has about the mystery into your mind instead of your conscience, your spirit. And he says, if we're going to have that, we have to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Why? Because we're going to have to be able to move through it without, with the debates that come intellectually, we're going to have to hold that in a pure conscience. So when our heart, our conscience does not condemn us, we have, we have faith in God before God. And if our conscience begins to condemn us, God is greater than our conscience or our heart. So what God has done in Christ Jesus, our mind might tell us we're not worthy, but God says, if I forgave you, you're forgiven. So when we hold our heart, a pure conscience before God, God begins to really bring forth an understanding of the mystery. Not what I can figure out, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. And to be able to communicate that with other people, that it's not intellectually what you can figure out. See, that gentleman that kneeled in our our, our house that night, he was intellectually trying to figure out how in the world could God even love him after the atrocities that he had seen and felt like that he was a part of. And though you could preach the gospel, if he got back into his intellect and his reasoning, it could not make sense to him how God could even love him and take him to that place. Right? right? But with no judgment upon his life from us, no judgment, but to release the gospel from a pure conscience. Let's don't debate this intellectually and what you can reason out, but let's just look at it with a pure conscience. The mystery of what you don't understand, what's been kept secret, is that God sent Jesus Christ to the cross to bear your sin, your iniquity, your pain, your sorrow, your mistakes in his own body on the tree. Pay the penalty of dying and going to hell. God raised him from the dead for your justification. Can you receive that into your heart with any kind of purity and faith? Yes, I can. Boom then you can be saved. 
Amen. So sometimes we get to reason, could this person, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, I don't know. Let's think about that. Everything you did, that's pretty bad. Maybe he can't forgive you. You could debate a lot of things like that. After what you've done, maybe you don't deserve it. But no, we're not going to get into that. Praise the Lord. Thanks God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. So he says that if we're going to have a revival, we want to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Amen. Not simply intellectual debate. Praise the Lord. Number three, we want to be stewards of the grace in our life. Turn over to First uh, Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable. Uh, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As we, each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what's steward mean? Steward means it's, it, you're a manager. You're a manager of an estate. That's what he means. So in other words, this gift was given to you. We look back at Ephesians 4. This grace that was given to you, right, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So if we went back to this, and then we see what Peter says. He said, listen, these are things that are going to happen in the last days, and so you want to be watchful. You don't want to just be frivolous in your prayers. You want to be watchful in your prayers. You want to be serious in your prayers. You want to have fervent love for one another. Fervent love for one another. Man. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Isn't that a good thing? Love doesn't expose a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. He said, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So he's just setting the stage. And then he says, now, now as you're walking in love towards one another, you're fervent in your prayers, you're hospitable to one another, you're opening the hearts of people around you to begin to administer or serve or bring forth something that will serve or help them from a grace that's in your life if you will manage or steward that grace. And those graces are manifold, which means many-sided in that manifold grace of God. So he goes on to say a few things. He said, if anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. Right? So he says, if you have a grace, one of the graces that would be speaking, you know, Paul said grace is in our life. He said, if you have a grace of prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. And so really that simple form of prophecy is speaking to edification, exhortation, and comfort. But then another portion of that prophecy is really the proclamation, the proclamation of the good news. A lot of preaching that, that we see or preaching that we do is simply from the New Testament, as they were saying, is really the preacher preaching is actually prophesying, proclaiming the good news, Right? Saying what God said. You know, we've, we've made it kind of mystical. That if somebody could foretell my future, you have to be careful of that. He says, but if you know, you study the word of God, and you know what God says, and he's gifted you to speak, then speak. But don't speak on your own accord. Speak as of the oracles of God. Speak what God has said. So you can look back to Jeremiah and some of the, 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 the uh, prophets of the Old Testament, and, there was, and they would say, God would say to them when Israel was going astray, he would say, now listen, proclaim to the people, and there's false prophets, and there's people telling the people that they're speaking for me, and they're not. They're saying they're an oracle of mine, and they're not. So tell them to stop it. 
right? So here he says, now listen, speak what God's telling you to speak if that's your grace. So what do you have to do? You have to steward it. We don't want to just speak what everybody else is saying. We don't want to just speak what comes to mind. We want to know what God's saying. Amen. So thank God there is that, that utterance by the Spirit of God, right, that is only by the Spirit of God that brings forth something that may declare to somebody what God has in their future. But really, just the simple thing, people say, well, I, I'm called to prophesy. Well, really, when, even when it says the outpouring of the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2, when you look at that, it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will be, be anointed to proclaim the gospel in their generation, to proclaim it. Amen. Because the gospel in itself tells your future. Come on, it charts out your future. If you'll receive what Jesus did for you, your past is washed away and your future is bright. <laughs> so we could make it kind of spiritual. Get real warm and fuzzy about it. And then just say, man, God's redeemed your life from destruction. So the steps ahead of you are better than the steps behind you. And you're going to walk into some things as you obey God that will be supernatural and fantastic. And you'll find gifts working in your life that you never thought possible. You'll say yes to things you never thought you'd say yes to and no to things you never thought you'd say no to. Amen. Thus saith the Lord God. Woo! Amen. Woo! Wow! Well, that's just the Bible. <laughs> Huh? It's just the Bible. We could over-spiritualize it. It's just the Bible. We just want to be open to God to say, listen, I could preach the gospel to you right now and not even use chapter and verse. And you're like, wow, if that's my future, I want to find out more about that. And all of a sudden you start reading the Bible I'm like, well, that's what he said to me. Wow, I thought he was really smart and it was right there in the Bible. But he was really smart because he told you what God said. Right? And sometimes you don't know that you know that. It's the importance of the church. You sit and you hear that and you hear that and you think, well, I don't even know what I heard today. And all of a sudden, you know, I love that. I went to Bible school and half the time I thought, wow, I don't even know. If you look at my notebook, there's some times that I'm taking notes and pretty soon my big letters turn into one drifting line off the page. Which means this, I fell asleep in class. And so after you fall asleep in class, you know, you feel bad. It was Bible school. But then all of a sudden you're talking to somebody at work or you're sitting down in Denny's talking to somebody and they're saying, well, I have a question about this. I have this problem in my life. And all of a sudden, right out of your inner man, you start talking the word of God. And you're like, well, maybe I was listening in class. Where'd that come from? So you got stuff in there, and it gets drawn up by the Spirit of God, and you're like, whoo, I got a hook of a shanda. Well, yes, you did, and no, you didn't. <laughs> now, now, just pay attention for a minute. I'm not trying to despiritualize it, but I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it. If you've been listening in church, you've probably got more on the inside of you than you ever dreamed possible. But that needs an outlet. And when you feel like, man, there's, there's something in here that wants to stir, somebody give me a pulpit. It's probably not where God wants to release it. But at Village Inn somewhere, somebody that you know, they'll ask a question, and then you'll out your little tabletop pulpit. No, all of a sudden, it'll just come forth. And you'll be listening to yourself and go like, where in the world is this coming from? Because you didn't think about it. You didn't plan it. You didn't write out the notes. God brought it forth. Right? As he wanted it said. So we want to steward that. We want to steward the word of God. Because of the oracles of God. All right? Great. 
not supposed to do that. All right, here we go. Got it back. Praise the Lord. So you're all with me. He says, so uh, if anyone ministers or anyone serves, that's what that means, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. So he says, we want to steward the grace that's in our life. We want to steward it. We want to work on it. We want to develop it. Why? So we can be recognized? No, so that God can be glorified. He can be magnified. So turn over to Romans. Romans, the 12th chapter. We'll start in the first verse. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So here you go. You got this body. You're like, it's not my own. I'm not my own. It belongs to you, God. Praise the Lord. He said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, Paul is saying, I got a grace in my life. That grace in my life, that ability that God has given me is to tell you this. God graced me to be an apostle, he's saying. And so the grace given to me, I deliver to you, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So he says, listen, when you renew your mind to the word of God and you start to see what the will of God is for you, he said, you don't start thinking of yourself and all about yourself, you start to think, oh my God. Wow, what an honor, what a privilege. What an honor, what a privilege. I'm not thinking about self-promotion. I'm thinking about Jesus' promotion. Will God be glorified in this? Will God be magnified in this? Praise the Lord. Thank you for enthusiasm. Because God... <laughs> Because God's dealt with you, what? A measure of faith. So now he's talking about, he's been talking about measures. Measures, right? So we like to think I got it all in one measure. Well, if you got it all in one measure, I expect you wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, some of you may be able to. I might be talking way generally. But if I would have known just when I went to Bible school, all the things that would ha have happened, would needed to happen, everything that was going to be faced. If I looked and saw everything that was there at that point in time, yeah, I was not ready. But to obey him in the measure, then the measure increased. And the measure increased. So he said, don't think beyond what you're able to believe for. The measure of faith, right? So some people think they can believe for something, but they don't know what they're believing for, right? So it's like this, you know. Uh, I'll just put it like this. I don't know if it'll help anybody. But, you know, uh, um, you know, sometimes when people say, well, just believe God. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ever ask or think. Well, I'll just believe God for a million dollars. So, you know, we needed a million dollars to pay off this building. And so I heard, you know, I heard... Uh, 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 somebody minister at one time to believe God, you know, for uh, the, uh, the one-time biggest gift that you ever have. Believe God. So when you believe God, you have authority. Bind the devil. Tell him to take his hands off God's money. Then thank God. Send the angels out. Tell him to bring the money in. Well, I could have said, well, go ahead and bring in a million and a quarter. That's what we need for the building. But I knew that wasn't according to my measure of faith. What I had to do is locate my faith and what I could believe God for. So at that point, I could just believe God for $100,000. And really, I might have shot high because it took quite a while. It took quite a while. But, you know, after, after that, after 100000 came in, I thought, well, if my faith attached to different things and what God said could do that, we still need some. Then I just believed that I could believe God and ask him for... 
right? So, increase. Praise the Lord. So really, I graduated from Bible school and uh, didn't really know what I was going to do. Went to, in, into youth ministry, a couple different opportunities. But uh, then all of a sudden, all I, ha- I had to believe God, where do you want me to go? So he said, I want you to go to Glenwood Springs. Well, they didn't even have a ministry position. So really, I just had to believe God to help me help them. And, you know, looking back, I thought, well, God just knew that if I had endeavored into that, maybe I didn't even have enough faith to step into the full grace of, of the youth ministry that I thought I was. So God said, I'm going to take you and cause you to just believe me to show you how to help, to serve. So each one to their measure, right? So if I have faith and this is grace, it's by grace through faith. By grace through faith. So you access the grace that you need through faith. So you might think, here's my full grace that I'm going to step into, but not actually have the faith to access that grace. But if you saw the grace and you accessed it according to the measure of faith, instead of saying, well, I'm called to be a prophet, and so just give me God, give me the world to prophesy to. Might not happen if you've never prophesied before. But if you just say, God, if that's what you're stirring in me, I can believe you to show me how to speak your word to one person and have that confirmed, right? So if you go prophesy to somebody and they bat their eyes at you about three times and go, okay, (laughs) you might go, okay, I might need to believe you a little farther. But if you're like, you know, I just wanted to tell you something. It's just a little, little thing. doesn't have to be grand, you know. God loves you. Just feel like your past. You need to leave your past behind you. God's got good things in your future. Wow. God wanted me to talk to you. Wow, I just told him today, if you love me, send somebody. Okay, okay. Maybe there's something here. Right, a measure. He confirmed it. Right. Says just saying, listen, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I'm going to tell you, and you follow that because I'm a prophet. A measure of faith. All right, so listen. All right, we're getting ready to close here. All right, praise the Lord. So, So is this helping anybody? All right, so grace given to each one. Who is among us, not to think more highly of himself as he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So many times we just see somebody come and we say, well, I like that grace. And so we imitate that grace, but that's not our grace. We have differing graces. So he gives us a whole list, and there's probably a few more than this, but we locate them. So he says, prophesy, prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, or serving, let us use it in our serving one another. Teaching and teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. He goes on to say some other things. So he lists a few things here. We could go into other places. But he starts to list those things. When you begin to look at it and say, God, I'm just praying. I'm just asking you, what is it? What is it? How can I look at this? How can I start to steward this grace? Maybe I can work on, you know, sometimes just giving. I mean, generally, if it it takes you a lot to give... You might not have a grace of giving at this point. But if you're like, man, I'm looking for somewhere to give. I don't have a lot to give, but I'd love to give. God's probably urging you to give. If I don't have much to give, just go ahead and start giving. Watch what God will do with giving. Well, I just feel like encouraging people, but I don't know if they would accept it. Well, just go ahead and encourage somebody. Well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, it doesn't seem too anointed. Watch it get anointed fast as you steward the grace of God. 
And what happens, if you look at all of these things and you find the people who are teaching, you find the people who are proclaiming or prophesying, you look at the people who are giving, you look at the people who are exhorting, you look at the people who are serving, and they're all here. They're all right here. There's teachers in here. There's preachers in here. I'm just going to use preacher instead of prophets, you know, prophesying. Preachers in here. There's serving people who love to serve in here. There's, there's givers in here. There's exhorters in here. So we all don't do the same thing. But collectively, God getting on it, wow, watch how the body starts to grow. Watch how we start to edify one another, learn from one another, grow one another, teach one another, encourage one another, give to one another, bless one another. Wow, starts the growth of the body. And we're not doing it to proclaim for ourselves. People will thank you for teaching them. Thank you for exhorting them. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we learn, oh man, that really exhorted them. Then you find somebody at work and you exhort them. And wow, it starts to unfold. It's a building of the body. And so we start to cultivate that. So we're not always waiting for somebody else to do it to us. We begin to release some of those graces towards others. And it starts a stirring and a collective working in the body that keeps out the grumbling. It keeps out the complaining. We're too active building the body that we're not even concerned with tearing it down and finding what's wrong with it. We're trying to help it be right. And it causes growth of the body. And I could give you testimony after testimony where we weren't that smart enough to grumble and complain. We just got excited about what God was doing and bringing us in and people doing their, their part. And everybody's just excited about it and, and the body just kept growing. And at some point it got stagnant and then we started looking at what wasn't quite right with the body and it, it, and it kind of set the body off in a little bit of discomfort. But when there's revival and we're operating according to those graces and we're not thinking more highly of those graces than we ought to think, but we're thinking and releasing faith to God to develop it so that it might encourage the body that Jesus would be glorified, God would be magnified. Man, he starts getting in the middle of that and blessing and health and healing and strength, health of the body, health of the body. So in prayer... You can stand up. In prayer, we've been having corporate prayer Monday through Wednesday. Been praying, just want clarity to the vision. Every member in their place, see the glory of God and possess the land. Comes over and over and over again. It's been prophesied over the church, spoken over the church. Be a healing place, healing place. So you could say in your mind, well, we've seen some, but we've seen some healing not take place. But continue to say, a healthy body. A healthy body means healthy members. So the health of the body, the health of the members is important, but the health of the body. If the body's healthy, the body, the members of the body will be healthy. Members of the body are healthy, the body will be healthy. It works together. So as we begin to look for the health of the body, so naturally speaking, the body of Christ, these many members, it's easy to create disease. By not operating in our gift. And instead of encouraging, we find what's wrong and we become discouraging. See, it's a real simple thing. I want to be encouraging, but I found something wrong. So let me tell you what's wrong. And it becomes discouraging instead of encouraging. I want to prophesy to you, but I don't know what God said, so I'll tell you what I'm going to say. But if we steward the gift, and we become encouraging, we build the body up. Now the health of the body starts to bring an anointing of health for members of the body. And there's an awakening and a revival. An awakening, a stirring, a health, a raising up of the body. Because we start to see it and when the body raises up in that health, and then that light hits and we disperse. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Does that make any sense to you? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We ask you, Lord, to continue to show us, prepare us for that which you have prepared for us. 
So when we arrive at that place, whether it be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this week, what we've heard, we're prepared. Or whether it's next month for us as a body individuals, that we're prepared to step into a place that you've called us to. We know it'll be a bigger place, a grander place, so that we recognize only you could do this. So that we occupy that place, we're not occupied by it. So help us, each one. Each one begin to see and to understand some things about your calling to us here. That together we begin to understand the vision that you've given to us, every member in their place. So that we might see the glory of God, the anointing of God, the splendor of God, the presence of God. Not only in us and upon us, but amongst us. Such a dynamic way that it draws people from the outside in, those in need to have their needs met, those who don't know you to know you, those in darkness, groping in darkness, searching and finding light. I thank you, Lord, that in those things we can be the catalyst for a revival in our valley, in our region, and in the nations of the world. So help us connect the dots, as it were, so that you might really begin to spring forth in us the expectation of what you've called us to in this generation and this time. So we thank you for a spirit of wisdom, revelation, spiritual understanding to create an awareness, alertness, and vision within our hearts. To join us together like never before, that we might strengthen one another to go out into our day-to-day lives and be impactful, courageous, not timid, but understand that spirit of power and of love with a well-disciplined mind. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for souls saved into the kingdom of God. We thank you that you are adding to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, we just thank you for our part. Give us, grant unto your servants a boldness to speak your word. As we go out and see those who are struggling, those who approach our lives, God, to draw on the resource of the Word of God within us, to share light and life with them. That when they hear that, there's a hope springs forth in their heart. And if they don't know you, there stirs a desire from that Word by the Holy Spirit that they desire to be saved and come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let us be the catalyst of revival, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.